0: C.S. Lewis said that we are too easily satisfied, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. At Lift Up Your Heart, the Searcy Institute's Georgia Regional Conference, contemplate with us how to elevate the desires of your children beyond what easily pleases, to hopes that don't disappoint, and to joys that don't leave a bitter taste. We will be in Atlanta, Georgia, October 20th and 21st. Registration includes lunch on both days and free audio recordings of all the conference sessions. Our speakers are worth the travel. Kristen Rudd, John Hodges, Heidi White, who leads an atrium course, Tim McIntosh of the podcast The Plays the Thing, Paidea Prize winner Greg Wilbur, who founded New College Franklin, and Thomas Fickley, the headmaster of St. Dunstan's Academy. Go to www.searcyinstitute.com backslash events to register and for more information.
1: And welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschooling moms by homeschooling moms. I'm your co-host, Renee Mathis, and I am here with my other co-host, Karen Kern. Hello, Karen. Hi, Renee. Nice to be here. Good to be back. And we hope everyone's getting off to a great start in their school year. And so today <clears throat> we have um, a special guest with us, and she is a member of my Cersei apprenticeship program. And um, that's how I first came to know Marcia. Her name is Marcia Black, and she is a native Texan. And she's going to talk to us today about history, specifically family history, telling family stories, and and how we can um, help our children have a love for those things as well. So I'm going to let Marcia talk to you and and tell you a little bit about herself. So Marcia, welcome. We're glad to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here Um I am married to
2: Martin Black. We've been married for 20 years. We have two daughters, Emery, who just started college at St. Constantine College, and then our daughter, Parker, who's 15, and Parker attends part-time the public, or not the public, the private school that I work at, Faith Academy of Freestone, and then I also homeschool Parker.
1: Super, super. So tell us, um, what is your connection specifically to Texas history and and how you got started uh, learning about that? Okay. For me, it began when I was a young girl. I happened to live on
2: the property that my part of my family had settled in 1853. And so I have memories of playing in the yard and my younger sister and I finding things that were left by the people who had lived there before we spent one time we found a fork and we thought it was the coolest thing. And then we found a chipped dish and sometimes we would find old tools. And um, what was neat about it is that we lived there and my grandfather lived near. And so we could ask he or my dad and they would say, Oh, well that, you know, is this, and it belongs to grandma Georgie. And so that put us back, you know, our curiosity and our imagination went back two and three generations before and then, and so that sparked it. Just being in that place, having that experience, and then we began to farm the land, and and um, planted peach trees. And so, living on the land, farming it like it had been farmed all those years ago, gave us experiences. And so we.
3: Can I jump in? Did you yes. live in a house that had been built by a previous generation as well? Or did you build a new house on the old family land?
2: So by the time we were there, there it had been several years before someone had lived there, and my grandparents had built a small house. So it was not as old as you know what had originally been there. But just, so just the history of being on the land and the stories, and that's something else on a my dad's other side of the family. My great grandfather was a rack and tour. He called himself that. We knew he was that. It, it, um, is actually on his epitaph on his gravestone. And so he told stories and it drew us into things of the past and things that we, um, could hear him talk about. And so it built a relationship. And he, even though he didn't live on the land where we were, he, his family had settled around Lake Travis, Marshall's Ford Dam which is how I got my name, Marsha. It, you know, carried down generations. My dad is Marshall. And so it just the fact that when we got together as a family, stories were told. We had experience from living on the land, but then also people told stories. And then that
1: ended up happening on both
2: sides of my family. So. Yeah,
1: that's a great way to pass those things down. It's just, I can imagine it's, it's fun, right? It's fun to listen to the older relatives talk about what life was like. And just imagine we'll be doing that with our grandkids, telling them about the years when we didn't have cell phones and the internet. <laughs> and It'll that. sound so foreign yeah. to them. <laughs> <laughs> but those stories, that, that's a great connection. So um so you live, you and Martin live on the property that your has been in your family. Um, and so I know one interesting story that you were just telling Karen and I is um, your connection with Fort Parker. And every every Texas school child who takes Texas history knows the story of Cynthia Ann Parker. Uh, I'm going to let you recap that for us. and um, And then of course her son, grew up to be a famous chief kwana parker who did a lot for his his particular tribe people so anyway tell us about the parkers and and how y'all kind of connect to them sure okay and so and just to get
2: back but martin and i don't live on the family land
1: at this point but we live near it so
2: my parents are on some family land that um martin and i will work to farm and rebuild re- regenerate Farming, We like to practice that. But Fort Parker, yes, when Martin and I married, I learned about his connection to Fort Parker and his mother was named after Cynthia Ann Parker because Cynthia Ann and my mother-in-law shared a great, great, great grandfather, of course, for my mother-in-law, um, Elder John Parker. And he was the one, one of the Parkers to come to Texas and help settle and establish Fort Parker, he and his sons. And they actually got permission to come to Texas, or of course it was Mexico at the time, or to establish a um, Protestant church. And it would have been the first Protestant church in Texas because at that time, Santa Ana was requiring people to become Catholic to come to Texas. So the fact that they were able to come in and begin this Protestant church was amazing to begin with. So they came and that was um, it was neat to know that Martin was descended from that and that he and Quanah Parker are cousins, and then we named our daughter Parker. Well, once my mom retired from work, she became interested in family history and began researching part of her family that we really didn't know anything about because of the divorce and um, alcoholism and things like that. And so she began researching that and going to courthouses, looking at records or census records at our courthouses. You can get this information from old library. Libraries will have records. And she discovers that we have ancestors that came to Texas with the Parker family. And so it was, it connected Martin and I, and I joke our families came to Texas together, but Martin and I are not cousins.
1: So, <laughs> We will clear that up, okay.
3: <laughs> so is this, I don't know where Fort Parker is not being from Texas. Is this Southern Texas then? You're no,
2: ta- this is going to be Central East Texas.
3: Central um, East Texas, Got Near
2: Me- Mejia, Texas, probably about 40 miles east of Waco is where Fort Parker is still today and you can visit it. And so that has given us a neat connection because then it was something... You know, we knew that Martin was connected to it and the girls, and so it was already interesting. And then to add to the fact that my family, the Bates, came with the Parkers, it just it it really brought it to life for both sides of the family. And and then the stories to tell and the things we learned. through So, that. what is
3: the story about Cynthia Ann, that she was she was um, kidnapped or whatever? Yes.
2: So, at the end of the Texas Revolution, which would have been um, April. 20th, I believe 1836, Texas was still a bit, um, unsettled. The Comanche had laid off as far as attacking. And so Santa Ana and his men were going back to Mexico and people were just getting, um, somewhat reestablished again. And so the Parkers had been away from the fort. Some at this point had come back because now this was May of 1836 and as they were out working in their fields, there was a Comanche raid. And I do think there were other tribes mixed in with that, and I'm not exactly sure which. And, um, they came in and attacked basically the fort, kidnapping Cynthia Ann and then a young mother, Rachel Plummer. Cynthia Ann's younger brother was taken also and, um, so it, and then people were murdered. Martin's grandfather, Elder John Perker and his wife at that time were murdered. Um, it was just, it was tragic. And, um, so once the kids were taken, there was a long search and, and that kind of thing. And it, it took a while to, for people to feel safe again in Texas after that. It, it was just, a, it was devastating. And things like that were happening throughout Texas. I mean, the Native Americans were upset. People were coming in onto their property. And so it was, There's a book, um, Summer of the Empire Moon, I believe. Empire Empire of the Summer Moon. Empire of the Summer Moon. And um, I think it does the best job of telling both sides of the story.
3: So uh, was Cynthia rescued?
2: So to use the word rescue, I think people would debate it. She lived with the Comanche into her 30s, I believe. And so Sol Ross, Took a group of men and they were, they ended up in this Comanche village where Cynthia Ann was as an adult. And by this time, she had had children and they realized that she was a white girl and that she had probably been a captive. And so they, the Rangers with Sol- with Sullivan, why can't I think of his name? Lauren Sullivan Sol- Ross. Sol- Ross. Was, yeah. Rescued her and then. There are stories she she really wasn't happy once she was taken back with the white people because she had become so adapted to the Comanche way of life and she had children. And um and then if you read accounts of the Parkers telling the story, she wanted to be back with the Parkers. So it, it's interesting the more you dig into it and the different things you read.
3: A really interesting novel.
1: Yeah, it was it was tr- it didn't have a happy ending because she and her daughter both died um while they were staying at a, a fort, a U.S. Fort in Texas. Um, she never got to go back to what she considered her people by that point. And, um, and her little daughter died with her. But her son, Quanah, grew up um, to be a Comanche chief, ended up settling in Oklahoma with a lot of the Comanche people when they were put onto a reservation. And he became somewhat of a celebrity and met with the president and hosted dinners with Teddy Roosevelt in his house and. Um, really uh, spoke up and, and spoke up on behalf of his people to try to help them adapt and,
0: um, you know, yeah. kind of move
1: forward. So it is a fascinating story, but story and histories are fascinating. And I know that you, you have done some things, Marsha, to, um, to kind of help on a community level with um, preserving history. And, and there are a couple of organizations that you're a part of. You yes. want to tell
2: us? Sure. So with my mom doing research, this opened the door um, for us to join Daughters of the American Revolution. So mom went back far enough in her family history to discover that we're descended from Puritans who refused to submit to the Church of England. And so they were persecuted and put in prison. And then that led us to then, or us, I used to feel like you're a part of it, my ancestors, to then immigrate to the U.S. Of course, at the time, um, it wasn't. But um yes, and then so through that, I have ancestors that fought in the American Revolution, which then makes you eligible to be a member of Daughters of the American Revolution. And so on that level, we do what we can to perpetuate and continue telling history. We give scholarships. We um, volunteer for veterans now um, that we can help. We want to help contribute to memorials and statues and things just so that history can be told and seen. And then we're also members of Daughters of the Republic of Texas because we can prove lineage to people who lived in Texas while it was a republic. And so, um, and in that, it just, yeah, we enjoy history and we, can go around talking about history with people. And my mother has also, she does a presentation on one of her ancestors. And so my daughters started tagging along and I too, and they would help contribute to the presentation. So it just, it made it a family event, starting with my great grandfather who told the stories, you know, years ago, it, it sparked that interest. And then my dad inherited that ability to tell stories. And then With my mom's curiosity for her um, ancestry, then it just, it opened up opportunities for us with DAR and DRT. And I want to say this too, you can also be a member of DAR and DRT, even if you're not, um, if you can't prove lineage, you can't hold an office, but you can participate and be a part of it. And we have several members, I know for sure with DRT that, that do, so.
1: I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So are your daughters involved? Is there a way for the kids to do things as well with those organizations?
2: There are. So there, with D-A-R, there's Children of the American Revolution, and both my daughters are members of that. We, we've we been less active in that. We're, we're new to that chapter. So um, I know less about that. But what they've really been active in is Children of the Republic of Texas. And because it's a national organization, they've been officers on that level. And so my older daughter is no longer an officer, but Parker, my younger daughter, is a second vice president for
1: CRT. So very neat. Good. Well, do you have some thoughts for us? I mean I know a lot of people listening might think, well that's great, but I I can't trace my family's history back or I live in the middle of a suburb and you know there's there's zero connection to this property. Um, What hope is there for us? No, there absolutely is. Because I think about my grandfather,
2: the raconteur that told the stories. I never saw the places he told. I never told about, I never lived on that property, but he told the story. And so if a place to start might be, if you know of a family member who has been in DAR or DRT, any kind of lineage society, if, and it may be a great aunt or someone you don't know well, but call them. You know, it, it, it opens a door to what, what stories there are that you may not know. And mm-hmm. then, um, and then you, if you can prove, you know, connection to that person with birth certificates and all of that, then you could possibly be a member of DAR and didn't even know it. I think a lot of people could be in DAR or CAR and, and they just don't know, you know, and, and thinking back, if you can't go back farther than that, just tell stories about your childhood. and And I know all childhood stories aren't happy. All family stories aren't happy. There's stuff we've found out through this that i I really would have been okay not knowing. but um, it there's something about knowing where you came from or what happened before you. And if you don't if you if there's no way to find out what happened before you, start telling what you did experience, pass that on to your children because they do want to hear. They want to know. What it was like when you didn't have a cell phone, you know, and, and I think grandparents play a huge role in that because I know, um, for my girls that it, it started with the grandparents. I love history because there was no way to get around it. My dad talked about history all the time and it wasn't just family history. It was Texas history. It was, you know, stuff that I didn't necessarily have a personal connection to, but he made it a part of our family culture. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I would suggest.
1: I know one thing. Uh, my little grandson was working on a project, and I thought this would, you know, this would be something any homeschooler could do. Was just to take a map and interview his grandparents. So that was, you know, Steve and I on one side, then of course his mom's parents, and and to start coloring places in the map where people had come from, where his ancestors had come from, and I think that really helped open his eyes to seeing, you know. So some really neat and, and kind of that's the start and the little gateway into those stories because of course when he asked Steve and I, we couldn't help but tell some of the stories that we knew and and you know learned some more along the way. So um just a simple geography lesson of let's let's look on a piece, let's start coloring the places you know that we came from. Which Renee, um, that sounds exciting to me because I can own I, most of mine would be Texas, and you know, if
2: for a young child, so the fact that y'all have other places to add to that—that's that's neat. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's a lot of fun. Um, before my dad died, and he died in 1999 at the age of 70, he wrote down and just typed them up. My mom put them in a binder. And they're just a whole binder full of his favorite stories that he remembered, either his own experiences or ones he'd been told. And so this just reminds me, I have that binder upstairs and I really should make copies and give Mm -hmm. it to all my kids at this point.
2: Absolutely. What a gift that will continue to give. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. They weren't as colorful as Comanche, you know, (laughs) 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 apps going on, but it was all in... In Canada and England, you know, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But that's how, I think that's how you find out those colorful things or those heartwarming. You just have to, I think you just have to start talking, right? Just, just start getting it out there. That's um, One time around the dinner table, we had the most fascinating conversation about, um, and y'all know I love to cook. So I think I just started asking my mom and dad, what did you eat for dinner? When you were little, what do you remember? You know, where did the food come from? Who cooked it? But but literally, like, what were your favorite meals, or what was a normal meal for you? And that just got them both talking and both opened up about really interesting, you know, not you know earth shatteringly, you know, crazy things, but just you know, when you live on a farm, this is what you eat, and 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 of course, then you can't help but notice how different it is than what, the way we do things today, like you know how common it was to eat the same thing over and over because that's what you have right um but but even just questions like and what was your favorite food or what did you not like to eat or or what did you have to eat and you had no choice about you know so
2: i love that because everyone can relate to that anyone who eats my um grandmother on my mom's side because she grew up just down the road too and and we didn't know as much about her family we would. We would ask those questions, and my mom was great about leading that. and And we found out that my grandmother made fudge as a little girl because her uncles loved the fudge that she made. And so then we got together, and Emery and Parker are in the kitchen with their great grandmother making fudge. Now it didn't turn out because she had, you know, forgotten the recipe and time had passed. But it was just that experience it was. It, it I'll cherish it so.
3: Mm -hmm. And times have changed so much. You know, my grandmother, both my grandmothers were born around 1900. One was born in 1900. And so when you consider the 123 years since then, and the major, major changes in our culture, like... The time, like, it just seems like progress, if you want to call it that, sped up so, so fast compared to all the years before that. And so, you know, if kids even hear about their grandparents' experiences living through World War II or what what life was like in the 50s, it's so vastly different from today. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, it doesn't seem like all that long ago, (laughs) but it's just so different from what children are experiencing now. Anything makes such a great story. I think
2: yeah. you're exactly right. We take for granted that, you know, our story isn't exciting. Well, it, it's it's not exciting to us because we know it so well, but the ones, you know, the generations later that didn't know it, yeah, it, it could be fascinating to them mm-hmm. and then tie us to the past and in that we find traditions that either we forgot or that can be linked to something we're doing now. Oh, we might be doing that because of this past you know
1: thing that our family did and and so it's just me to me. Mhm. Yeah, I I love, you know, learning the story not only our family stories but of course I love books and so to find out about, you know, local authors or or who are the who are the people who are from this place telling the stories of these people and and hunting them down and that, that can take you on a fun little rabbit trail journey of, um, you know, as an adult, if you're interested in the history of a place, to find those books and those authors. Um, you can end up in used bookstores and library book sales with you know, where you're looking for those older books. Um, but it, it's a fascinating way to start learning from older voices, I guess you would say. But um, and then, you know, to try to get our kids maybe interested in some of those books as well, like to find who, who are the, the writers who are appealing to their age, who are telling, you know, these stories. So That's, that's exactly right. And we had a neat encounter.
2: It's been a couple of years ago, but I found a book, The Boy in the Alamo, and I can't recall the author right now, but I was telling my dad about it and that the girls and I were reading it together. And he said, Oh, Oh yeah, I read that. And he named the character in the book Well, he had read it when he was a little boy. And so it, just the fact that we found stories that my dad had experienced, and then it's something that that a grandfather and grandchildren can talk about, mm-hmm. um, and appreciate Texas history together. Oh, the other thing, and so grandmothers, this is what my my parents did. They took the girls on a Texas history trip, just for a few days. They traveled to different historic sites in Texas, and so it sparked that it was someone. It was information not coming from mom, yeah. And it just sparked that um, that curiosity and excitement for history for them. So the girls that, still talk about it.
1: That's a great idea. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think, you know, a trip with grandma and grandpa, and and to learn at the same time. Like you said, not from mom. <laughs> yes, <laughs>
3: investment it it shows the it shows the children that this isn't just an a fact that's disconnected from them that they have to learn or they have to memorize or whatever, because it's part of a curriculum. It's part of who they are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and it just would fill your imagination to, to go to these places and think, Oh, my, my ancestors were here. You know? yeah. and they might've seen these same things. They might've been in the same place.
2: That's exactly right. The one that stands out the most to me, I think, because I haven't been there and the girls got to go, so I think it's great. But at Goliad, where they they were the men were massacred brutally, and so they stood in that place, and there was just, there was that moment of men sacrifice for me to be in Texas right now, and this is part of that story. And even though it we don't have a family connection to Goliad, it was. It's part of our history, so because it's why we are where we are now. It led to this. Well, and
1: I was thinking when we were in, um, when Steve and I got a chance to visit Scotland a couple of years ago, and going to these small little towns and villages, there was always a war memorial in -hmm. the central town square area. And I'm, I'm thinking, what would it be like to grow up always seeing and always being reminded that, like you said, people came before um and and they they fought for what was right or they 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 represented our our people and our place here and some of them didn't come back and but you're always reminded with that physical thing in front of you of of you know who you are and what you've come from and i think it's you know in the bible god tells his people to set up stones and to make physical reminders and things so um you know i would i would encourage these young moms listening to to Find what are those physical things that you can keep and point to, even if it's like a quilt that that someone made in your family, or or maybe it is a a medal that was worn by someone who was in the the armed forces that you know came before you. I think we we need to show our kids and our grandkids too the, these physical reminders of who they are.
2: Absolutely, and and I don't know if other states do this. I know Texas has historical markers along the highway. And so, and you, as a kid, we stopped and looked at the historical marker, you know, we sat in the car, everybody read, you know, someone read the historical marker, we all listened. And so we talked about it. Well, now you can get an app on your phone and it tells you what the historical marker says. So you keep driving, but you can read what, um, and there's still, of course, it's a lovely thing to stop too, but if you're in a hurry, So the girls and I have that on our phones where, you know, if we pass one, oh well, what is this one? And so we could look it up and then say, oh, (laughs) this happened.
3: What is Uh, this app called? How do how do people find it?
2: It is called Texas Historical Marker Guide.
3: So do other states have that too? Do you think? No. I don't think I bet they do. I hope so. Yeah, there are so many historical markers around here, like even in our town in Concord, North Carolina. And have I stopped and read them all? No, I'm always in a hurry to get to my next place and, you know, need to just do that.
2: Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting. And sometimes it's just a silly little quick, oh, there was a church here in, you know, 1920, which is, you know, interesting. And then sometimes you stop and it was just this impactful moment in history that you didn't know happened in that place.
1: Yeah. we need to slow down. That's a good reminder.
3: Yeah, I feel like we have become very poor uh, remembers in our culture. I I was shocked this week sort of when I um, saw so little on the news or on social media about 9-11. I thought, have we You know, uh, just a couple people posted things and and I didn't really see very much at all. I I mean, I didn't look much, but on the major news, you know, on my phone about it. And I thought, oh, are we? We're not forgetting, are we? No, (laughs) And, you know, that's a really good point,
2: because that's something I would think most mothers and fathers, they remember what they were doing at that moment. So then there's a conversation to have. Mm -hmm. This is where I was. You know, this is what I saw. And and how much it it shook
1: the country. Yeah, I uh, this was I, wonderful. I, I, yeah, I, I'm going to, before you finish, Karen. I'm going to share a quote real quick, and um, it I love that it kind of connects with what Marsha's talking about, and just the the community and family and and those connections that we want to maintain and to reinforce. And um, Karen, this is uh, a quote from Wendell Berry. This is one of our favorite characters, right? Burley Coulter. And Burley is the one that on our dwell, our official dwell coffee cup. Burley is the one who said all all women are brothers. Um, But this comes from a short story called That Distant Land, the collected stories of Port William. And um, Burley is having a conversation with Wheeler Catlett. And he says, the way we are, we are members of each other, all of us, everything, the difference ain't in who is a member and who is not but in who knows it and who don't mm-hmm.
3: I just love that right. and our and members. It, children yeah we want our children to know that they're members that that this is bigger than just you know the people that live in the house right now right that's yeah. right yes yeah. So thanks for that quote. I love that, and um, all of you know all of this conversation had me thinking about Wendell Berry and his um, his attention that he plays to the land and the place and the people and how important it is, and how sometimes when we live in a suburb, it doesn't feel like that, and yet we still have community and we're still connected down mm-hmm. through time and across space, and it's just a gift that God's given us. And so, thank you, Marcia. No, and thank all, you. i am be inspired to find out more, to write things down, or you know, just to dig a little deeper. So, thank you. And here, yeah, here's the home.